first playoff series since 2003. I considered making plans for how this book would have to change should they go on to make the World Series, perhaps even win it. But I didn't want to jinx them. It didn't matter. The Cubs lost the division series to the Arizona Diamondbacks in startlingly quick fashion. I returned to orchestra rehearsal without conflict, without superstition, and frankly without the heartache of 2003. A cynic could argue that at least the Cubs had the decency to spare us from hope this time. But hope we will, with all our hearts, and with a great deal of our brains. There's always next year. Dan Gordon, November 2007 Chapter 1 The Depths of Loyalty Exploring the Brain of a Die-Hard Fan By Jordan Grafman, Ph.D. Introduction I confess that I am a lifelong Cubs fan, and this chapter will present a biased, personal view. If being a fan of a football team is like having an affair, short seasons and long drives, being a baseball fan is like being in a marriage, long seasons, slower pace, and a focus on details. My first memories of the Cubs go back to the mid to late 1950s, when I would come home from Armstrong Elementary School in Rogers Park in Chicago and find my dad sitting in the living room, watching the Cubs on WGN-TV. Despite having a few stars, such as Ernie Banks, the Cubs of that era were dull compared to the Southside Go-Go Chicago White Sox, endorsed by Mayor Richard J. Daley, who won the American League pennant in 1959. Instead, the Cubs were beset by players such as the homerless Elvin Tappy, and empty grandstand seats in April signaling that the cold Canadian winds that blew hard through the ballpark could routinely influence not only the outcome of games at Wrigley, but also the fans' level of support. As the Cubs' play-by-play announcer of the 1950s and early 1960s, Jack Brickhouse, used to say between the rare Hey Hayes, his signature home-run call, Any team can have a bad century. In fact, the Chicago Cubs played good baseball throughout the first half of the 20th century, following the tinker-to-evers-to-chance era of the early 1900s. But for nearly 100 years, they have not won the Baseball World Championship. At one point in the late 1930s, the team even hired a sports psychologist to try to determine how to improve the team's performance. A fan of the Cubs must love the team with an almost religious fervor, given their tumultuous ups and downs. They have had seasons where they looked like they could compete in and win the World Series. In 1969, I was in Shea Stadium in September, courtesy of my Long Island cousin, Jeff, who took me to see the Mets play the Cubs in what would be for me the ultimate loss. We had to leave the game early to beat the traffic back out to Long Island, and just after we left, the Mets scored a run to take the lead, and eventually the victory from the Cubs. What I most remember from that day is the very long drive back to Long Island, with Jeff's monologue on the greatness of the 69 Mets and New York teams in general, and laughing about what indeed ended up being the Cubs' slow, tortuous slide into infamy that year. Having spent the first 20 years of my life in Chicago, I was indoctrinated to the idea that actions speak louder than words, and that we were the city of broad shoulders— so I often wondered why I remained a Cubs fan despite the singularity of their failures over the years. 
Was my optimism simply a form of magical thinking? A form of fantasy on the borderline between reality and dreams? Enjoying a baseball game was supposed to be a recreational activity, a chance to forget about life and to simply follow the play on the field. I often took the short ride on the B train from where I'd lived to get to Addison and the friendly confines of Wrigley Field, and at least sitting in the bleachers with no protection from the sun kept you warm on a spring day when you were supposed to be at school. But I am not sure that I explicitly understood the paradox of rooting for a team that was destined to frustrate both their fans and the idea of watching baseball as an escape from life's problems. Perhaps, as a cognitive neuroscientist, I can now try to rationalize this madness. A fan's dedication to a chronically losing baseball team involves a number of social cognitive processes that allow him to accept his fate...